Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be when a law is hard? Well, hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so glad you could join me for the show. And this is going to be a fun one, y'all. I've, I've been really looking forward to uh, this show. We're going to talk about Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, which many people, you know, see as a turning point uh, in the Christian faith when uh, we, we move from being this sort of revolutionary movement into the official religion of Rome. So we're going to talk about that. I don't ever like to make assumptions that people um, know uh, church history or the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of folks that listen to the show here that uh, write books on this stuff. And there's other folks that are that are new and that are uh, leaning in and curious. Um, and, and so I've been doing this series going through themes of my new book, Rethinking Life. But uh, th- this section that that I talk about Constantine um, and it's fine if you didn't hear the other episodes or whatever, haven't read the new book or whatever, but um, the, this section is, is on the cracks in the foundation of the Christian movement and, and, and kind of its ethic of life, the value of human life. And certainly Constantine um, is, is a pinnacle moment in church history. Um, so just, you know, to rewind a little bit, this this section in, in the book is called We Exchanged the Cross for the Sword. So we've been doing that a long time, but we, we kind of exchanged the, the cross for the sword. You see Christians move from being the persecuted minority to being the persecutors during this era. So to rewind a little bit, what started 2000 years ago with 12 disciples on the outskirts of the Roman Empire uh, is now 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. The largest religion in the world, Christianity, is one-third of the global population. So this growth obviously had has its own story. Uh, but you see even in Scripture, you know, in the book of Acts, that um, the Lord added to their number daily. You know, there's moments where hundreds, even thousands of folks um, dedicated their lives to Christ. They uh, joined this emerging Jesus movement that in the, you know, in the New Testament was known as the way. Um, kind of sounds like the Mandalorian, right? This is the way that, you know, th- this, it was a way of life though. It was a way of love. It, it wasn't just a way of believing, but a way of living in the world. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's said that in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became 
an enterprise. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Um, you know, there's folks that talk about mission drift, uh, where, where we began to lose sight of our uh, original vision and mission, and we make compromises. And some of those compromises are the core values and principles. And, I, I you know, that happens in a lot of different social spaces, but it certainly happened to the church and to the, you know, the, the early Christian movement. Um, I mean, when you think about their passion for life, which I talked about, you know, in depth on the last show, I mean, the, the, the early Christians were a force for life. They, they, um, uh, opposed violence and, 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 execution, the death penalty, war, militarism, uh, abortion, like every iteration, the gladiatorial games, everything that crushed human life was crushing the image of God, and they were the resistance to it. So, you know, it is rather remarkable that it took a few hundred years for the early Christians to budge on that ethic of life, that conviction of how sacred life is. You don't see a single Christian for 300 years um, trying to defend violence in any form. I mean, they just unilaterally stood against violence. Uh, and then this movement began to grow, right? So by AD 100, I mean, this, this is 100 uh, AD, there were roughly 7,500 Christians 7,500, 7,500. So that's, I mean, there's mega churches that are, you know, bigger than that today. Um, but just a generation later, 150 AD, there were 40,000 Christians. That sounds like a lot, but this is still like 0.07% of the population. I mean, this is like less than 1%, not even a tenth of 1% of the Roman Empire. So they were still a marginalized movement. Um, I mean, think about that. They like 0.07%, not even a tenth of 1%, 150 AD. So you, um, you know, 100 years after Christ was here in the flesh, there was roughly one Christian for every uh 1,400 people in the Roman world. Um, historians estimate that uh, between 100 and 300 AD, so Constantine's you know, coming into the picture uh, in, in the 4th century, 300 AD, the Christian movement grew from roughly 7,500 people to a whooping 6.3 million. Yeah, and, and, and that's just in 200 years, right? Um, so by 8,300, Christians were 10% of the Roman Empire's population, one person every 10. <laughs> it's is pretty explosive growth, right? So with that growth came complexity. And that's where the emperor, Constantine, kind of enters the picture. Constantine is seen as the turning point for Christianity as it gets sort of the official stamp of approval from the Roman Empire. And once Christians are in power, 
they went from, I mean, that power did does something to us, right? So they stopped loving their enemies and started killing them. It didn't happen all at once. And there's a lot of historians that kind of push back on this idea that there was a Constantinian shift because it didn't happen all at once. Constantine was more of a, you know, um, a symptom than just the the disease itself. But um, they exchanged the cross for the sword. Uh, they went from being the persecuted to the persecutors. Um, and, 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 and in the wake of like, this is all in the wake of really terrible persecutions. So think about this. I mean, for hundreds of years, Christians have been terrorized. Um, the, the, they had been killed obviously all the way back to Jesus himself in 33 AD. So most of the disciples, uh, the apostles were martyred. Um, There were emperors like Nero who reigned just after Jesus. So he he was in power um, uh, 54 AD to like 68 AD. And he, I mean, he was sadistic. He turned, um, execution into a form of entertainment. Uh, It said that Nero, the emperor Nero, um, crucified people upside down. Um, He dressed Christians in animal fur and they were killed by dogs. Their their bodies were often disfigured. And uh, I mean, he just made a game of this. He turned his own garden, Nero did, into a killing field where he set bodies on fire and used them as torches. And this is sadistic evil. Sorry, young people. This show's like PG-13. This one. I mean, this, this is brutal. This is what Christians were enduring. And all this is important because this is the backdrop that leads up to, to Constantine. So after Nero, there's Domitian. Um, where there was, uh, uh, Domitian was an emperor who exiled John, who wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Um, there was Decius who ruled um, in 249 AD, Diocletian, Galerius. All of these were folks that, that were emperors right before Constantine, and they were brutal. They were brutal. Church buildings were destroyed. Property was destroyed. There were raids uh, on churches. Um, sacred texts were and relics of the church were burned and destroyed. Uh, folks were forced into slavery. Uh, many Christians under Diocletian, um, uh, historians say there was a wholesale slaughter of Christians. Um, so this is the what was setting the scene for Constantine. And you gotta, you gotta think, I mean, you get tired of getting killed. Um, so I'm not defending the, just trying to explain <laughs> a little bit why power was uh, seductive, right? It was tempting. Um, and it's important that Constantine's dad, um, Constantius Chlorus was um he wasn't a Christian, but he was really tolerant of Christians. So he began to kind of set the stage a little bit. He didn't carry out the most vicious of these persecutions and kind of uh, uh, created much more moderate policies for Christians. Um, and then, you know, Constantine comes uh, becomes emperor after his dad's death in 306. Um, and he took that tolerance to an all new level. Now, Constantine's not a Christian at this point, but he... Um, that he and he really had to fight for his ascension to the throne. I'm I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but he um he ended up 
fighting a battle. And this is, this is important because this is the battle of the Milvian Bridge. In 312, he won this decisive battle, Constantine did. And it said that Constantine had a vision coming down from the sky uh, in heavenly glory, a cross to bless, to, to bless him in the battle. And, um, and there's an account of this vision that was written by uh, Eusebius. And it says about, you know, the time of the midday, uh, he saw with his own eyes up in the sky, a cross shaped trophy formed from light. And it said, by this conquer, this text that was attached to it, by this conquer, kill in the name of Jesus. So th- this was Constantine, uh, Constantine's sort of alleged heavenly vision of God blessing uh, his power. Now, it, it is important that, you know, um, that one of his first acts after winning the battle of the Milvian Bridge and killing Maxentius, his enemy, was signing the Edict of Milan, which it proclaimed religious tolerance all over the empire. So um, this is interesting because one of the things that begins to happen is Christians, as they come to power um, and as they get wealthier, they get more proximate, closer to the power structures, um, they begin to compromise uh, the core values of their faith. Um, And you know, before this, Christians were known as the enemies of the state. That's literally what they were called. They were seen as this one one person called them a rank growth of weeds that was beginning to, uh, in you know, like an invasive plant take over the empire. And they were taking it over with love. <laughs> it was an invasion of love. Um, but, you know, th- there was this resistance at the core and heart of the gospel um, that our kingdom is not of this world, that we're not going to conform to the patterns of this world. Um, and they they often got killed. They were the they were the recipients of the wrath of empire. They were the ones that were being executed, um, cru- you know, crucified and killed by the state. Um, so as you you know, for hundreds of years, I'm sure it begins to wear you down. That you begin to go, well, it would be really nice not to get killed. <laughs> you know, it would be really nice to to be able to live in peace. Um, there, there, you know, there's that old saying that we have nothing to lose but our chains. Um, and, and while that was true, I think of a lot of the early followers of Christ, they, they were poor, they were marginalized, they gave up everything for Jesus. I mean, there were tax collectors, there were centurions, there were all kinds of other folks that began, but it was a marginalized movement. And now Many of the new converts to Christianity had a whole lot to lose. I mean, they they were beginning to have influence. They were becoming the majority religion of Rome. Um, and I think this is where this is where this is going, y'all. When we begin to take power, we begin to lose our souls. And yo, this is about 300 AD. This is about today. <laughs> I'm talking about Christianity, Constantinian Christianity in America. So if you're just joining the show, y'all, uh, we're, I'm talking about Constantine and the, this shift 
it's often called the Constantinian shift, um, where the Christian movement moved from sort of this revolutionary marginalized movement to the majority uh, religion and also began to hold the reins of power and also started to lose its soul a little bit, had that mission drift um, where we we lost the sacred uh, value of life. And, and this is so Constantine. I want to be fair. He did some good things. And, and there's folks that have written books on this. One of them is Lightheart's book. Uh, it's called Defending Constantine. And it shows how we often get it wrong by just pinning everything on Constantine. And again, like, you know, like I said, he was, he was the, the effect, not the cause. He was a symptom, not the disease. Um, uh, but there were, a, there was a lot of religious tolerance of Christians, but of also of folks that were not Christians. So there were a lot of things that Constantine did to um, contribute to that moderation and the respect of other people. Um, he banned the gladiatorial games. A lot of folks that are just kind of um, going anti-Constantine forget that he did a few things like banning the gladiatorial games. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, he made it harder to kill babies and children. I mean, literally um, banned the Roman practice uh, that was called exposure. It was considered one form of abortion, but it was, I mean, it was really murder. You would just leave a newborn baby in the wilderness or in the forest. Um, but he banned that. He banned uh, the branding of criminals, which was sometimes done on their faces. So, I mean, some forms of, of real um, inhumane and torturous things he he banned. Um, he funded the the mission of the church. He rebuilt church buildings that had been destroyed in the persecutions. He reproduced copies of the Bible. He established Sunday as the Sabbath day and the, you know the holy days of the church as a part of the calendar of Rome. He even provided you ready for this tax exemption. <laughs> for clergy and uh for church property. So uh he could be credited with setting up the first uh in, in the US we'd call it 501c3 tax exemption for the church, uh for better or worse. Um, this is interesting. Constantine uh ended the practice of crucifixion. Now, this is what's interesting. He did not abolish the death penalty, he just stopped execution by crucifixion and he considered it an offense to christ i mean it would have been beautiful right if he like many of us considered all execution as an offense to christ um but he he didn't um end the death penalty but he did stop the crucifixions that form of of the death penalty so that's constantine now let there be no mistake he is a complicated dude. He ended up killing his own wife and son. Um, so I'm not trying to defend him, but I'm, I'm just trying to, <laughs> to be true, to be true to who he was. So this is um, this is the backdrop of Constantine. The church was changing. He began, there were lots of doctrinal debates, I mean, about who Christ is related to the, the God, the Father, or what we now call the Trinity. Um, there was um, a summit in 314 that uh, uh, Constantine pulled together. And then, I mean, the really famous one was a decade later, the probably, I mean, one of the most famous and historic uh, councils of the church in church history, the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene Creed. 
Um, and, and this is, this is a absolutely historic moment. So Constantine pulled that together. Now there's a lot of debate about whether it was political expediency and, you know, we need everybody to get along. He's trying to, you know, bring the Roman empire together. He's trying to bring the church together. I mean, we see some of that today. Um, but what, what, what's really interesting is that even in these councils, a lot of what was being debated was doctrinal beliefs and those are important. But it's interesting that you begin to see this this uh, differentiation between the beliefs of the Christian faith and the practices, because they're not talking about killing and the sacredness of life. I mean, those aren't the debates that the early Christians were having, even in the 300, you know, like in the fourth century. So the message of Christianity itself, I mean, the message hadn't changed. But what did change is how Christians live out the message of Jesus in the world. Uh, you know, it, we, it, that way of life that Christians were known for. It, 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 Christianity during this era, I would suggest, you know, kind of this is when we begin to move from being a way of living into a way of believing. And a lot of energy was spent on, you know, how what Christians believe, but not just, you know, how do we live? You know, the uh, it, it was the head that was being engaged, not just the heart of the faith. So it was more about doctrines, less about actions. And so you, you start to wonder, right? What if some of the things that begin to get codified in the early church were the orthopraxis, the practices of the Christian faith, not just the orthodoxy or the doctrines of the faith. Um, and we don't need to separate those. I mean, I think, you know, every church should have a statement of doctrines of faith, but also a statement of, hey, this is what it looks like in practice. You know, we we care about these things. This is how we welcome the stranger. This is how we care for the poor. This is how we, you know, care for the earth, all those things that are a part of our faith. So you, you start to wonder, like, when this is because this is also true of Constantine when he's holding these councils, check this out. Constantine is not even yet a baptized Christian. He, as he's overseeing the council of Nicaea, or at least convening it. Right. <laughs> so um, the year after, check this out, the year after he hosted the council of Nicaea, Constantine killed his own son, Crispus. And a month or so later, he killed his wife, Fausta, basically had her boiled to death in hot water. And it's not very Christian, right? Christ-like. And yet, here's someone who's still revered as a saint um, by much of the church. I mean, the Orthodox Church calls him the um, equal to the apostles, isopostolos, like um, the, the, that he's a saint of saints. Like he, he so... I would say he's a complicated man, right? I mean, like Martin Luther said, there's a sinner and a saint at war within each of us. <laughs> but I, I got to say that, you know, as you look at this era of Constantine, um, it's the proximity to power that begin the ability to enforce the doctrines of the church and that's the question that it raises, right? Should we use the power of the state to enforce the doctrines of the church? Come on, America. <laughs> Come on, UK. I mean, this is the stuff that like, we're, are we the moral gatekeepers? Are we to use the sword of the state? And that's exactly what happened. Um, Christians began to kill folks. They, they uh, began to not just execute, uh, excommunicate heretics, but literally to kill them. 
Christians began to kill their own uh, folks that they considered heretics, that didn't, they didn't believe the same thing. And that Constantinian vision by this conqueror, um, I mean, that paved the way to colonization, the conquistadors, the colonizers. It created a holy cover for unholy missions. And that's the evolution of Christianity, or I would call it the dissolution, right? Some would call it progress, you know. I would call it digress, that that, that um, a decade after the death of Constantine, check this out, 350 AD, a decade after the death of Constantine, there were 33 million Christians in the Roman Empire. More than half of the Roman population was Christian, 56%. In just like 70 years, Christianity went from being that persecuted revolutionary movement to being the established majority religion of the Roman Empire. Now, the next emperor, Theodosius, um, after Constantine, made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And he really began to aggressively Christianize the Roman Empire. He used his power to ban unorthodox Christians and pagans, destroyed pagan temples, created mob violence. I mean, um, there were riots and he slaughtered thousands of people. And this is, you know, the first, really the first Christian em- emperor, the one who was um, making Christianity the religion of Rome after Constantine. Um, even Theodosius was excommunicated at one point by the bishop, um, Ambrose of Milan, who, who said, and this is where the line came from, right? He had this um, uh, th- th- this powerful vision, I think, uh, even from the, the, the bishop, um, Cyprian, it said, the hand that takes the Eucharist should not be sullied by the blood-stained sword. So basically saying, if you're killing people, you shouldn't be taking the Eucharist, <laughs> right? And he excommunicated him. But you start to see this church, this, one, this war over the heart of Christianity. So 50 years later, to be precise, I mean, you know, this is the, the Roman Empire collapsed. Um, you, we began to see um, this cracking in the church. I mean, the church obviously outlived the Roman Empire, but it also began to lose a part of itself, a part of that original vision. We begin to kill people of other faiths, kill our fellow Christians. We we began to to do the very evil things that were done to us. So this is what uh, where Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian, he, he said essentially, where everything is Christian, nothing is Christian. When the empire becomes Christian, we begin to lose our soul. So as history shows, Christian empires, if there is such a thing, usually lose their souls. There's a wise man, right, that once said, what good is it to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? And that's definitely, I think, part of what happened during the reign of Constantine. And it's a battle for the soul of the Christian faith that still lives on especially here in the empire we call America. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you 
for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.